Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to Lift the Lid, the podcast that takes you flat out around the world of Formula One. So, Johnny, it's summer break. We've got a bit of a different episode coming up here. Do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, someone from the other side of the pond. Bit of an ex-indie racer. Does a lot of sort of TV stuff now on Indy and in F1. James Heathcliff, everybody! Whoop, <laughs> <laughs> hello guys how's it going yeah very good really good good to speak to you it's uh it's great to see you guys and uh looking forward to the chat again we're all on the same time i'll be billy same thing because we're all about sort of we're petrol heads at the end of the day doesn't matter where you live in the world doesn't matter what formula you've been involved with we've had a lot of fun haven't we behind the wheel yeah definitely we are we're all racing drivers at heart we all love our f1 and love our motorsport in general so james for those of you that might not know a lot about James, let's just give him a brief introduction into his career CV. So former IndyCar driver yourself from 2011 to 2021, got pole position at the Indy 500. I'm imagining oh, yeah. one of the career highlights because it was only in the last episode, me and Johnny were talking about the Triple Crown races, Monaco, Le Mans, and you know, Indy obviously being part of that. So just give us a little introduction about you right. know, what you've done in your career. And obviously, you know, IndyCar, 500 pole position. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, for me, I follow the, the normal path like most kids, you know, up and carts yep. through the junior categories. Uh, um, got to do a little bit of racing kind of in Europe and globally with A1 back in the day. You remember that series? That was a blast. But uh, focus was always kind of an IndyCar. I, I grew up loving IndyCar racing, just being from Toronto. And we had a race there. So growing up as a kid, that was what I saw was chasing around the IndyCar guys looking for autographs. And uh, actually, Johnny, funny story. I went to Montreal for the Grand Prix in 94, maybe. Oh, right. Yes. A while, a while ago. I don't, I don't remember why. But my dad had some connection to some company that got us garage passes. And I actually met you. And as a, you know, as a kid, I was enamored with helmets. 
And I saw your helmet sitting there. You kind of looked at me and you saw me looking at it. You're like, why don't you put it on? And you actually grabbed your lid and you oh, right. banged it on. I could barely fit. I couldn't believe that title. Was. <laughs> but yeah, so fan of the sport forever. Um, met Johnny way back in the day. But uh, yeah, IndyCar for, uh, for 11 seasons, incredible. And, uh, you know, obviously for us, yeah, that being part of that triple crown with the, with the 500 is super special. And that event, if you've never seen it, to anybody listening, anyone that's a motorsports fan, it has yeah. to be something you see in person. It has to I be. know some people think they, they have a weird taste for oval racing. They don't get it, whatever. I understand that, but it, go see it and then you'll get it. You know, it's that event is so unique. And so, uh, yeah, that poll that you mentioned, uh, was certainly a career highlight, one of the coolest days. And, uh, you know, it came one year after something not great happened at that same track. So it was kind Indeed. of extra special. Yeah. And what about the early part of your career? Of course, racing in sort of North America, Canada, sort of mainly, as you said, you mentioned about a well, what was that like basically leaving home family and friends to come to Europe, to try to try your hand at racing there. What was that like? Amazing. <laughs> the best. It was the best experience ever. And, and I mean, absolutely no disrespect to any of my friends and family. But, you know, at that point, I hadn't I hadn't made it to IndyCar yet. I was still, you know, kind of in the Indy Lights, Atlantic, so kind of one below uh, the F2 equivalent, if you will. Yeah. And the series started up, and A1 was such a cool series because, you know, it ran in the off-season pretty much. So every Buddy was available, even if you had a normal season gig, everyone was kind of available. So it was a great group of drivers. Yeah. It was the sprint week, week uh, sprint format on Saturday, then the long race on Sunday. One was standing start, one was rolling start, one had a pit stop, one didn't. It had a little bit of everything, you know, and and then and they traveled all over the world. So I I went over and, and lived in Oxford, like every young racing driver does, if you're in Europe. <laughs> And, uh, but you know, I'm 20, 21 years old at this point, actually getting paid to drive a race car, which is not something that had happened up to that Wow, point. no. And we're traveling to Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Mexico, Czech Republic, South Africa. I mean, it was just amazing. I, I missed that series. That was a really, really cool championship. Yeah. And they sounded good as well, didn't they? They sounded really, They did. Really they raced proper. well. You know, they were. Yeah. The first edition was a pretty, it was pretty dated at the time, right? It was a bit of a rudimentary car for the time, but it didn't matter. The racing was great. And if anything, the the last year of the championship, they kind of stepped it up and made, and it was a, I don't know, a 10-year-old F1 car, basically, at that point. It was based off a, no, sorry, not a 10-year-old, five-year-old F1 car. It was based off like a mid-2000s Ferrari, big downforce, carbon brakes, all this stuff. And and the racing kind of fell apart, and the championship dissolved shortly thereafter. Yeah. So it was a bit of a failed experiment. Just a good, simple, big V eight engine, big tires, like just go racing. It was a blast. Yeah, can I imagine that was a, a lot more up to your street compared to you know an Indy car and that over the pond racing. You know the sort of cars that you have to deal with over there. You mentioned briefly about you know that accident that you had in 2015 on this channel. Obviously, me and Johnny have had our own accidents in motorsport, and we're you know we've openly talked about that. So I want to get your perspective and you know hear a bit about your incident in 2015 and how that quick turnaround happened. Then going into you know Indy 500 and getting pole in 2016 obviously didn't dampen your spirits, is fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I mean that's that's one thing I think we can all agree on, right? I mean it's it's kind of cool having a conversation with people that have been through their own version of, of something kind of similar because 
people from the outside, you know, see us go through something like that. And they think you're an absolute lunatic to want to get back behind the wheel. Um, so for, you know, a bit of background, my accident happened at Indy. Uh, it was uh, in practice, mechanical failure, fired me into the wall. And a part of the suspension, rather than crumbling when suspension, you know, as suspension normally does when you hit a concrete wall at 230 miles an hour, it stayed intact and it actually sh- it got the force shot it right through the tub of the car and it essentially went right through my body. So I was the easiest way to describe it is I was shish kebabbed. This, you know, <laughs> three foot steel rod. Yeah. Got got, you know, for like one of the bits of the suspensions came through and, and lodged in the other side of the car. So it was stuck in me. And, you know, that's very dramatic and and that's where a bad it, day. Where, where was it stuck in you? <laughs> right. It's a great question. It it kind of went into my right leg just below my kind of butt and then came out, kind of went through all the all the soft tissue in, in my in my butt and then kind of came out my left hip oh right wow and the as if that isn't displeasant enough the real issue was that it hit an artery in my leg on the way through and so as gross as the injury was it was really the blood loss that was that was the big concern for me at the moment and it's a i mean we could spend a whole show just talking about that but uh it got me out you know i they i there's no amount of luck on earth left for me that you know got me out of that car and, and survived all the people involved I literally owe my life to but I'll, I'll remember I woke up in hospital and I had no memory of the accident and I you know was on a backboard neck brace tube down my throat bunch of bright lights a lot of concerned looking people I just gotten out of surgery and I could only talk with a pen and a piece of paper wow. and the third thing that I wrote down was when can I get back in the car? Good man. And the wow. doctors were pissed. <laughs> they were so mad. They're like, we just spent six hours in surgery trying to make sure you were still alive. And the first, the third thing you ask is, when can I get back into the machine that just did this to me? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Exclamation mark, underline, underline. That's so fascinating to hear, James. Yeah. yeah. I literally, I had a similar thing after my accident. I had a pen and a piece of paper when I came back around. And the first thing I asked was, who won the race? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's crazy to hear that because, you know, similar minds think alike, clearly. You know, yeah. Racing yeah. drivers are wired a different yeah. way. Exactly. And I was the same when I had my crash because I, th- I came around, I think, when I was still in the car and I actually asked if the spare car was ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so, it, so it's just we are wired in a very different way to most people. And I think that just shows what you're, what you're what you're explaining there you know is how we just have this i don't know this this the mentality that we just enjoy thoroughly doing what we do with all the difficulties that we may go through in our career we still want to get back behind the wheel i uh, i i sort of have defaulted to the to the saying that racing drivers just they lack the self-preservation gene that most human beings are born with <laughs> Yeah, and I agree. So yes. even you know, even when something like this happens, we're like, yeah, 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 I get that. That's really fun, though. So I want to do that again. Um, yes. And so you know, it was uh, my season was done, and um, spent the next sort of four, four or five months in you know rehab, recovery, getting back into the car, and uh, finally was able to test after the season ended, and just started preparing for the next year. And so you kind of fast forward the full twelve months. We're back at Indy. 
And everybody is like, oh, what's it going to be like for him? He's going back to the same place he nearly died at. And, you know, is he going to be able to do it again? And Mm, yeah, I, uh, I'll never forget. I I sat down, my team was largely unchanged. And, you know, as you guys all know, a a racing team is a family, right? And so if a, a member of that team gets hurt, regardless of who it is, everybody feels like they've, a family member has been hurt, right? So my whole team suffered and endured something through that journey the same way you know, in the same sense that I did. So we all come back to this place and I sat down with the boys before the first session. I was like, here's the deal. I'm, I get it. I get why we've had to do this, but I am sick and tired of this being the story that people tell talk about when it oh. comes to us and the Indy 500. All right. So here's the deal. Yeah. We leave the month of May this year with a new story for them to tell. And, uh, and we did it, we did it because we ended up going out there and qualifying on pole, which is, it's the scariest time of the, not just the month of the year. It's the most risk you're going to be at. It's the fastest we're going to go. It's the most on edge the car is going to go. And we went out there, we said, don't worry guys, we got this and, and qualified first for the, for the hundredth running of the race to boot. So it was, it was a really, really special day for the whole team. And just for those that I've not ever experienced driving an AD 500 car. What is it like to put one of those cars on the limit in Indy qualifying? You know, what what is that sensation like? What are you feeling through your bum? You know, the oversteer moments at 230 plus by an hour. It must be insane. Yeah, is it a thrill it is. or is it ah! <laughs> every turn? <laughs> yes. See <laughs> all of the above. Uh, it's... It's, it's, I think in a lot of ways, if you ask most drivers that have done it, it's the, the most exciting and thrilling thing they're going to do all, all season. And they'll also tell you it's the most terrifying thing that you do all season. At those speeds, the, the feedback through the car is, it's so infinitesimal. Like you have to completely recalibrate all of the inputs, all your input sensors, what you're feeling through your butt, what you're feeling through your hands. Because everything is so small. Because at that speed, anything big, I mean, it's game over, right? So you have to feel the smallest amount of understeer, the tiniest bit of movement in the rear. And you're going through each one of these corners. You're entering it, coming up on 240 miles an hour. And the goal is to be flat out the whole way around. So if the car weighs, you know, 1,800 pounds, we've got 1,805 pounds of downforce on it. You know, like here's this. You peel off everything that you're willing to peel off. Engines are boosted up. But because of that, I mean, the tires are working so hard because it's four laps. That's what's so unique about Indy qualifying, right? It's four laps. It's your average speed over the four laps. But over that amount of distance, the car changes a ton because the tires are just wearing. You're making them work so hard because there's so little downforce on the car. You're making adjustments in the car to the roll bars, to the weight jacker from one end of the track to the other. If a gust of wind pops up, you need to look at the flags and make sure you clock that because you're so on edge that even a gust of wind can end it. And that amount of like mental focus, knowing that the consequences are so big at those speeds, <laughs> I mean, it's draining. It takes two and a half minutes, but you come out of it and you're like, ex- you're gas, you're exhausted. Yeah. I mean, it sounds exhausting just hearing about it. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Doing it ourselves. Um, so talk a bit now, obviously that was then, you know, when you were in your prime, you know, indie career up and running, obviously now that indie career is coming to an end and now you've moved across into the world of punditry. So, you know, what, what me and Johnny 
you know, have, have recently been doing in the world of F1. You were doing that in IndyCar, plus you're also involved in the F1 paddock. So it's fair to say you must have a busy calendar at the minute. Yeah, yeah, we were joking earlier. I mean, I, uh, I had all these dreams of, you know, retiring from driving and having all this free time. But then what I did was I like, oh, I have all this free time. Let me fill it with stuff. And now I've said yes to everything and it's too much. And I travel more than I did as a driver and I'm completely flat out. But um, yeah, I think you're just used to that, right? That's the lifestyle as a driver. You're just always on the go. And so I I don't think I would have known what to do with myself if I was just sitting around. So yeah, moved over um, to the indie broadcast and then had an awesome opportunity with F1 TV to do a bunch of races with them as well. And I mean, I love it, man. I'm, I'm, I grew up at a racetrack. It was, you know, I always knew when I stopped driving, I had to find something in the sport. And I got this really cool opportunity when I was young and still kind of racing at that, that Indy Lights level to do some, what was then champ car, but Indy car commentary yeah. for the international broadcast. So it was actually what was played over in, in Europe when I was just kind of being a, you know, a a wannabe racing driver, still trying to make my mark. And I got a cool opportunity to try a little bit of it. And I, and I really enjoyed it. So I always kind of had in the back of my head, when I hung up the helmet, I wanted to get into that world. And when I kind of got to that point and I realized that that's, that was probably where I was going to be heading at the end of 21, you know, I reached out to NBC and said, Hey, I'm thinking of stopping. And they were just like, there's a three-year contract. It's yours if you want it. And so I was like, all right, I guess we're going to go do the TV thing now. Yeah. What What about the crossover? Because some people say, well, you're an IndyCar driver, you won six times, you're coming over to do Formula One, you know, you don't understand it, but you're a race winner for one. And secondly, the racing doesn't actually change, does it? When you, whatever you drive, you still have the feeling of what is actually going on on whatever track it is, Formula One track or IndyCar track, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting because I won't lie, I had this bit of imposter syndrome feeling, you know, when I went and did my first race at, at Coda <laughs> last year. And, and yeah. I, you know, obviously F1's a very uh, large audience and it's a very passionate audience. And I was fully prepared for the like litany of what's this foreigner doing over here? He's never been in the car, you know, with this, that, and the other. But when it comes down to it, as you just said, I mean, 93% of racing is the same. Right. And so yeah. Yeah. what I did when I got there, I was really fortunate that my first race was a race where Alex Pillow was doing FP1 for McLaren. You know, obviously he was the yeah. defending IndyCar champion and he's a good friend of mine. And uh, he did that first yeah. session. And I, I had texted him, I was like, hey, man, I want to have a quick chat after your run. He's like, cool. So we, he has that first practice. And then I track him down and I just grilled him. I was like, I need to know every single thing <laughs> you know about driving one of these cars. So that way I can have some. But an, the, the the good thing is with the F1 TV gig, I'm lucky because I do it with Julian Palmer, who's an absolute blast to work with. And he has been in the car. So if there's yeah. something that's like super specific to, oh, this is what it feels like when you go to this regen map. I don't need to know that. Julian can know that. And then the rest of it, it's just racing. Yeah. And I, I, I completely relate to uh, James on that imposter syndrome feeling because, yeah. you know, you are looking around and the broadcast in Formula One is filled with all these ex, you know, Formula One drivers that have won yeah. Grand Prix, World Championships. But like you say, I think there is that importance, of, you know, understanding that a lot of racing is the same and it's just about, you know, putting across what you know about racing as best as possible for the fans to keep them to keep them engaged, which obviously clearly you're, clearly you're doing a, a great job of. Talking a little bit about 
this season in F1? Obviously, you've mentioned Cota last year was your first introduction to Formula One. What have you made of this season so far? Well, it's, it's funny, man. I, I, uh, <laughs> I love watching history be made, right? As an athlete, I, I love seeing yeah. athletes break records. So I'm not going to sit here and try to sugarcoat the fact that it's been a thrilling season up front. But I do, I mean, you can't help but respect what Red Bull has done from the team side. But what the way Max is performing is just absolutely yeah. phenomenal, the level he's performing at. Right. And so you know, we saw it with Mercedes and Lewis. We saw it with Vettel and Red Bull. We've seen it with Michael and Ferrari. Like, it's this is not a new story. It's a new story to a bunch no. of fans because a bunch of fans are new thanks to Drivers Survive. But, like, this is actually fairly quintessential <laughs> F1 in a lot of ways. But what's so what I love about this year is everything behind. If you just took Max out of the championship, my God, do we have a heck of a championship? And it's not just a couple teammates from one team that are battling a lot. You've got the the ebb and flow of the midfield, which now is like six teams deep, is has been incredible. And just watching that arms race, the development race has been really fascinating. And so yeah. Max can go do his thing, but I, I love looking at who's looking for third to seventh. You know, like that's a re- third to tenth is actually yeah, a really good yeah. race right now. On that, who has impressed you the most then? With sort of, let's say the new generation, let's sort of take Lewis out of it, but the new generation, you, you've gone, he's got a good future, that one. Well, even before the last couple rounds, I was really impressed with Piastri because when you compared him against the two other rookies, right, Sargent and DeVries, and you could you could argue for the first 10 races of the year, they each were in the three worst cars, right? I mean, yeah, I hate to say it like that. I know how much effort goes into building. I'm not trying no, to, true. but yeah. numbers-wise, statistically speaking, the three slowest cars. And so in that respect, you got some of the sim- some similar challenges. You could argue that Oscar even had more of a challenge because his teammate is probably ranked in the top five of, of driving talent in the series right now. And yeah. you, so yes, they, they weren't setting the, the timing charts on fire, but he wasn't making any mistakes. He was very consistent compared to what we saw at Nick, compared to what we saw, what we've seen out of Logan. He was just there, just there, thereabouts, logging the laps, getting it done, not doing anything silly, really not bringing any attention to himself because without a fast car, the only attention you bring yourself is going to be negative attention. And so he kind of this quiet season. And then all of a sudden, McLaren pulls this ace from up their sleeve and look what he's done the last two rounds. And even like in Spa, yeah. like I'm, I'm, I think everybody's gutted. We didn't get to see what would have happened in the GP on Sunday at Spa after what he did in the sprint. But um, kind of kind of just outperformed Lando all weekend. Is That's a big, big thing to do for a young guy. So it I is. was already kind of like, he's having a good season. And then once he had a car he could really fight with, I've been really, really impressed. Yeah, and t- tell us one thing, because you, me- you mentioned Nick DeFries there, and I, I don't know if it's the same in Indy. If you don't perform, I don't know if you get sort of pushed out of the team sort of very, very quickly. Now, Nick DeFries, is that confusing? Is it a surprise what they eventually did by by moving him aside? I think if it was anything other than a Red Bull-owned team, it would be a surprise. <laughs> I think it's a surprise that he wasn't a little more competitive, if I'm yeah. honest. I rate Nick very highly. No, I agree. You know, I think everybody yeah, me does. too. Yeah, um, yeah. if anything, it's, it's really highlighted how good a year Sonoda's having, which is great to see. Uh, yes, I, I, I think it was too early. I don't think it was a fair crack. Uh, I think there are some other factors that play into it, but you know, that's how Red Bulls always kind of run their programs. And you're not going to sit here and argue that it hasn't worked out for Red Bull on the whole. So 
Uh, I feel bad for Nick. He's a super, super nice guy. I think he's a massively talented driver. I mean, I, I was texting him being like, Hey man, you like Indy cars or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'd, we'd love to see what you can do with one of these things. But, uh, I mean, he'll, I mean, he'll land on his feet. He'll be fine. It's, it's just kind of a bummer that it didn't kind of play out a bit differently in F1. Yes. It is a bit of a bummer, James. We're going to take a quick ad break, but I'm fascinated to hear when we come back after this ad break, you know, the impact that Formula One in America is having right now and your, your take on it. So we'll be back in just a second. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. So, James, you mentioned briefly before the break there about Drive to Survive, and you mentioned the name Logan Sargent, you know, an American driver in Formula One. The growth that Formula One is having in America right now, I think the last few years in particular, has been pretty outstanding, hasn't it? Have you noticed that like, around the streets, you know, in America, these things that you're seeing and hearing these conversations? Oh, absolutely. It's, um, it's become so much more a part of the kind of pop culture because of the show. And it's it's great. I mean, it's something happened a little while ago that for me it just it blew my mind. As someone that has watched Formula One my entire life, you know, my my dad was a Brit. We grew up with F one in the house. We grew up with any guy. We grew up with racing, but all racing was great. F one since like literally as far back as I can remember. And you would try to talk to friends about nobody cared. No friends yep. knew about it when I was a kid growing up, right? And then, you know, then I'm in the sport. And so everybody's kind of in the sport. But even over here, if you talk to people in the NASCAR world, you know, friends of mine that drive over there, they weren't really as, they didn't really follow it too much. You know, they kind of followed us, but they didn't really, you know. Now it's gotten so big. I was at a bookstore a couple weeks ago in a mall. And I walked over to the magazine section because honestly, the best car mags and racing mags come from Europe. And that's the only place you can get them is mag sections and bookstores <laughs> so i was i was like i, I was like i'm just gonna swing swing over and see if there's anything good so i'm there and i'm trying to figure out where the motorsport section is and i kind of see it and there's this there's this young girl standing there she's probably 14 15 16 something like that she's wearing this red hoodie she's flipping through a magazine and i'm trying to like kind of look around her because i'm like she's kind of blocking the racing section what is I'm, like i'm and then I, I just glance, and she is holding an an edition of Grand Prix magazine, flipping through it, 
and then closes it and looks over at mom and goes, yeah, mom, this is the one. And as she walks wow. away, I noticed that her red sweater has a number 16 on the back. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah. never in my life did I think I was going to be seeing a 16-year-old girl actively shopping for Formula One magazines because her interest in the sport is at that level. Right. And I get that what she's interested in might be different than what I'm interested in, but, but what F1 has done so well is they've made it so, so appealing to such a broad demographic, right? There are that you're 18 to 25s or whatever that like it for a certain reason. And you're 26s to 35s for different reasons, you know, but they've just done such a great job and seeing the way it's blown up over here is, is phenomenal. Yeah, but it's happened over here in Europe as well. It's the same thing. When I I noticed, I've said, I think I've said to Billy before, when we when I went to Silverstone probably about 10, 15 years ago, they were probably an average age of about 40, something like that. Yeah. And then in the in the recent times, and I think the Drive to Survive has definitely done exactly the same thing here. It's young families going to Silverstone. So you're you're right. It's it's amazing what it's a been able to do globally. That's the amazing thing with it. I think it's it's neat because so if you look at like a good show that comes out on Netflix, right? About whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That becomes something that people can binge, they can watch, they can chat about. It kind of becomes part of the conversation for the two months that it's sort of relevant until everybody watches all 10 episodes and then you've moved on to the next show. What has been so interesting about watching how this has developed is you have that happen. And then that immediately transitions into the start of a nine-month season. And so if you've got everybody talking about the show for two months, and then you can just all continue to talk about the racing for the next nine months, all year long, these people are engaged in some way in Formula One. And so you take the appeal of live sports, which certain demographic loves, and you take the appeal of these hit TV shows that become part of the zeitgeist and part of the you know, just pop culture conversation – and you now merge these two things together, and it's 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 amazing. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And you know, as, as much as the popularity has grown in Formula One, just from a fan perspective, also the amount of races in America is growing. Right. We're up to three races, you know, in America this season, and we've got a new one in the calendar coming up later on this year in Las Vegas along the Strip. <laughs> there, I mean, everyone I speak to is absolutely, you know baffled by how it's going to work but excited to see what you know vegas and america do and the show they're going to put on what what do you think that's going to look like when we get to you know november where we've got that race out in vegas i am very curious to see how this turns out um <laughs> you've taken you know formula one which in a lot of ways is like the apex sport of excess and indulgence and you have made it it with Las Vegas, which is the apex city of excess and indulgence, and combining the two, the world might explode. I don't know. Like it, it could be one of those like <laughs> unforeseen things. But the, the undertaking is just so huge, so so massive. Obviously, the hype around it is, I mean, unlike anything I've ever seen. And I know they're up against a lot of challenges to kind of pull it off. Here's the thing: first year temporary circuits always have issues. Always doesn't yeah, matter how yeah. much money you throw at it. So they do run the risk of having it been built up so much. If it isn't great in year one, it might tarnish the reputation a little bit. 
That said, Miami sort of suffered a little bit of that last year. There were some issues around Miami, both from the track side, but also from the fan experience side. I wasn't there year one. I was there year two. Year two was fine. And everybody still showed up. So even if year one's not the best and there might be some hiccups, I think long-term it's going to be it's going to be like one of those hallmark events in global sports. It's going to be looked at almost as a Super Bowl or a Wimbledon or the Masters or whatever. Yeah. It's it's going to be crazy. Do you think uh, IndyCar are going to want a bit of Vegas, a uh, bit of that action potentially if it goes well for Formula One? Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't, I don't see, uh, I don't see us being invited on the undercard for that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to change it to a slightly different direction. You've driven for Andretti. And there's a lot of talk about Andretti coming in with Cadillac. There seems to be a lot of pushback from the teams, the FIA and, and the president of the FIA seems to be wanting it to happen. What is the ceiling of having another US team in Formula One? Obviously we've got Haas uh, in the first place. What, what What's the feeling over the other side? I mean, the feeling is that there's a ton of support for it. I think it's, not a lot of people, you know, of the casual, more casual fan, uh, really realize or understand that there is already an American F1 team. Haas hasn't leaned into that as much as they could have. And that may have been yeah. a strategic choice. It may have just been how it played out, whatever. And fine, it's working for them. Uh, obviously, with a name like Andretti, you're bringing a racing pedigree that even non-fans know like that that name's just ubiquitous you know again people just yeah. know that name between what mario and michael you know accomplished in their careers and everything uh and then marco carried on as well yeah and so i think there's a lot more excitement around that that would kind of be embraced a little bit more as the truly u.s formula one team they want i think the plan would be to have a u.s driver as well i know we have logan Sargent, but again it's not he's not making waves in the states quite the same way for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's immensely popular idea over here, less so in the paddock, I understand, but uh, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out. Interesting. You say American driver, who could be that American driver? Who do you think? Could do well, that? I mean, I, I think Colton Herta is, is kind of top of the list just because of obviously he currently drives for Andretti and there was a little bit of, uh, of, of interest in Colton, you know, Last year, between the test with McLaren, Alpha Tauri was kind of knocking on doors and trying to make some calls. And ultimately, it was the super license points issue that kind of halted the conversation. Uh, but Crazy. there was a lot of interest in Colton and uh, and and the test that he did with McLaren. Uh, from from what I hear from a, a couple of different sources, went very very well. So uh, yeah, they've got they've got a built in resource right there if they get that opportunity. For coming up to the end of the season, you know, we're at that mid-season break now and you've mentioned that development race we've got in the world of Formula One uh, going on currently. I want to get your predictions. Me and Johnny like to do predictions on this podcast. <laughs> He's going to get them right straight not, out, isn't he? We're not normally too great with our predictions. It's been a bit hit and miss this season, yeah. James. We're not no, going to lie Last two have been better. But, you know... You know, we'll we'll keep, we'll keep Max Verstappen out of this because, like you say, he's he's pretty much nailed on to win. But you know, in terms of you know, who do you think are going to be the second and third, maybe best drivers? You know, rack up the most points behind Max. You know, this second part of the season. Have you got any drivers you think they're going to put a good run of form together? 
Well, I think it's 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 such a. I mean, I look. I feel for you guys because this has been a hard one to predict behind Max. It's been thank you, James. So tough. We're not paying. To yes, pay that. no, yeah, no. That goodness. is that is legitimate. Uh, I, I have the benefit. So I, I write a column for F1.com, but mine, I have the, the benefit of being able to comment on everything after the races. I'm not asked to do any predictions beforehand. <laughs> that would be much, much more difficult. Uh, yeah. But I think, look, I still think at the end of the day, um, you know, Mercedes has the strongest driver lineup, I think, of the midfield. Well, I think of any team. Um and you just you have to believe that team is kind of finally going down the right path from a development standpoint. They sort of they died on that zero pod hill for too long, and now they're <laughs> kind of getting there. Um, and you know, so so for me, Lewis is always going to be the one I put money on because uh, I think he does thrive when things are not going particularly well and, yeah. and challenging. And when I look at you know what whether it's Aston or McLaren or Alpine or Ferrari are doing, uh, I just have more faith in Mercedes to be a little bit more consistent over the course of the rest of the year. And so if you were to say who who's going to be the next highest scorer over the second half of the year after Max, I'd probably put money being like a dollar on Lewis. If again, because for, Fernando, obviously his start to the season was so incredible to watch. The, the cars lost a bit of relative pace. He doesn't have the same, and this is not this is not so much a knock on Lance as it is just further praise for Alonso as if he needs it. You know, he can develop a car at a at a rate and in a way that maybe Lance can't simultaneously. You know, it's it's he's yeah. done a lot of that work I think himself. So that's where again where Mercedes I think has a bit of an upper hand, but you know he's probably going to be the next most points after Lewis with my guess, and then George in there. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the McLaren guys continue this recent run of form and kind of be more consistent over the last half. Yeah. So you think it's going to be more of Lewis and Alonso then? You're going for the old the old dogs in Formula 1, the most experienced vets to, at some point. I think the, yeah, young, I think I think so. the young guard's going to come through. I think the Piastres and the Lendos and the McLaren, all right. I think they're, they're, on a, they're on a very good direction at the moment. And I think it's like you mentioned uh, Piastri earlier on. You know, he mm. he's only going to get better in this second part of the season. I think it's going to be tougher, personally, with Mercedes. I still don't think they know. When it's good, they don't know why. And when it's bad, they don't know why. They don't, to me, yeah, don't seem to have a direction. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be fascinating to see because, as you said earlier on, it's so tight, so tight. And a slight off weekend, and you're, you're, you're at the back of that little mid-pack. Mid that's what's kind of fun about it, though, right? I mean, a, a bad yeah. day, the, the hierarchy of teams used to be so that a bad day was a seventh instead of a fifth, right? Now, a bad day, your teammate could be fifth. And again, if your teammate was fifth and you were seventh, that was a bad day, right? Now, yeah. a yeah. bad day, your teammate's fifth, you're 13th. And it's it's the gap's the same. It's just, you know, yeah. it's just that many more cars have filled up in, in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah, the margins are certainly coming down. Listen, James. It's been an absolute pleasure to to hear about you know your, your career yourself, what you're doing now, to hear all about your story. Uh, really enjoyed this this podcast, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you at a Formula One race this season. Which is your next race you're going to be at? Uh, next one for me is uh, Austin. Then I do Mexico, Brazil, and Vegas. So, are you guys coming to Vegas? Nice trip. I'm trying I'll to. Be in I'm Vegas. planning to be. Well, yeah. Let's 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 definitely connect at one of those.
Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. We're we like a couple of Brits abroad in Vegas, aren't we, John? <laughs> yes. Lost, the shiny lost lights Brits abroad. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the lost <laughs> Brits abroad. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, James. As James Again, thank yeah. you for, for coming on the podcast. Of course, guys. My pleasure. And that's it. That's our uh, our first episode in this mid-season break for you. A great guest with James there. And we're looking forward to keeping you guys updated with the world of Formula One and, you know, hearing stories from outside of F1 as well, expanding to the likes of IndyCar. So keep tuned for some more content and we'll see you soon on the next episode of Lift the Lid. Thanks, everyone. This is a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.